The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of Parking the Bus here on the PTB Media Network. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and Mexico versus Honduras has just ended. Mexico win 3-0 at the Azteca tonight to quiet some of the tatafuera comments that we were hearing, you know, the other night against Canada. It has been a crazy, crazy qualifying uh, campaign in in all of the regions, but in CONCACAF. And uh, we got matches uh, still going on. Uh, right now, Argentina just went ahead 3-0 a moment ago. Itaro Martinez with, with the goal. And Argentina lead Uruguay 3-0 right now in Argentina. As uh, that one seems to be headed towards its, its, uh, its finish. Uh, about 20 minutes to go in that match. But... Argentina seem uh, well in their well in their way to earning three more points and getting that much closer to reaching Qatar. Welcome, like I said, uh, this is parking the bus, and this is the road to Qatar, part one. This is our first look into the road to Qatar as uh, World Cup qualifying is in full effect everywhere. Anyone watching right now? Thank you. Appreciate the support. I know the NFL is on, and I know people watch the NFL. I personally don't really, but I know everybody else pretty much uh, in the United States, Canada, Mexico does watch the NFL and probably elsewhere as well. Um, I uh, coming to you anyway. This is Parking the Bus. It's been a crazy, crazy weekend for me. Um, as you know, my other show, Mr. Benfica, I've been working overtime there. A big thank you to my friend Mario up in Toronto. I joined him on his show last night, uh, Benfica After 90. Turned into a little bit of a late night for me. Uh, my club, Benfica, I guess I'll start with this. Okay, before we get into World Cup qualifying, I'll start with this. My club, Benfica, this weekend had a historic election. Okay, election, I say yes, election. Now, we've heard and I've talked about the Barcelona election last spring that that brought back Juan Laporta, and I pin a lot of the blame on the problems in, uh, in Barcelona on him, first of all, because he came in thinking he was just going to snap his fingers and everything was fixed. This week, Laporta made a ridiculous statement telling the media that he actually was hoping the only solution was for Messi to 
play for free, which is an absolute just sham of a of an idea. Okay, it's an absolute sham of, sham of a plan. You have to be better than that. You are the president of Football Club Barcelona. Well, okay, in a week where we saw Newcastle United taken over by the almighty petrodollar, okay, we saw uh, Newcastle, historic Newcastle United now in the possession of the people of Saudi Arabia. No disrespect to the people of Saudi Arabia, but let's call a spade a spade. I don't care. You can call it a, a private investment fund if you want. The king of Saudi Arabia literally in charge of Newcastle United going forward. And we saw their fans uh, celebrate like they've won a title. And who can blame them? Okay, it must have been incredibly hard to be a Newcastle United supporter the last 20 years. I totally can empathize with that. But on a week where we saw a purchase where wealthy people transferred power in a club to another wealthy person. Okay, my club this weekend used democratic means to real uh, to elect a president. Okay, and for the first time in the history of Portuguese football, a former player is or a former star player has become president. So I want to use this platform right here to to congratulate Rui Costa, former Benfica, former Fiorentina, former AC Milan midfielder, now the thirty fourth president of Benfica, and um, you know, it, he won with the vote of 84%, so I can't say he's unpopular. 84.5% is, is pretty damn popular. Uh, some people don't like it. I understand where they're coming from, but um, I hope for the best, obviously, and um, I think it's the right way to run a club. Uh, you live and die with the decisions that the members make, just like at Barcelona. They are right now reeling with the decisions that they made in re-electing Juan Laporta. Um, so that I just want to put that out there. Uh, I was I was out I was up late last night with that, and then of course the 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 Fury Whitaker fight. Uh, who who wasn't into that, right? Uh, Tyson Fury, the best, the best, right? Um, also, you know, just a crazy weekend. So here I am. It's Sunday night. It's a little late tonight because I waited for Mexico's matched, and so. Uh, we are going to start in CONCACAF, okay? I'm going to put it up on the screen for you all right now. And I'm going to show you here the table in CONCACAF. Uh, now that round five is complete as it's up on your screen. Now you see Mexico now leaders. Uh, Mexico win tonight 3-0 over a quite poor Honduras that played much of the match with 10 men thanks to an absolutely criminal challenge. From a minor Figueroa, uh, you see them with 11 points. United States here in second. Not a good night for the United States tonight in Panama. Uh, we'll talk about that just momentarily. They've got eight points, as does Panama after picking up their big upset tonight. Uh, also with eight points. And then Canada dropped to fourth after being unable to get a goal in Jamaica tonight. Costa Rica were victorious over El Salvador. They jump to fifth place. They are playing the United States later this week. El Salvador with five points in sixth. Honduras with three in seventh. And Jamaica in eighth with two points. Nobody is out yet. Uh, it is still very early. Five matches in. However, there is a lot of football left to play in CONCACAF. And first of all, let's open a cold one. Why don't we? All right. And let's enjoy this. Um First of all, the refereeing in CONCACAF I want to address. 
absolutely embarrassingly poor refereeing across CONCACAF. I watched all four matches tonight. I had four screens going, okay? I watched some of them in in the form of DVR the other night, but I watched all four matches from CONCACAF earlier this week. The refereeing is abysmal. U.S. and Jamaica the other night. Kamar Lawrence should have been sent off in the first minute. That is a red card. That referee is incompetent. And CONCACAF is incompetent in that there is no VAR. Don't tell me that countries can't afford it. FIFA funnels money to these countries, okay? FIFA funnels money to these countries. FIFA is made of money. They have given more than enough money over the years to all of these countries. Every country in CONCACAF can come up with one stadium that is capable of installing VAR. It's not that difficult. They have VAR in tiny stadiums in other parts of the world, okay? You watch, you know, there are some stadiums in the Portuguese league that I cover or in the Brazilian league that are, pardon the the expression, but third world stadiums. Stands that hold one to 2,000 people and that's it. And they manage to get VAR in there. There's no reason Jamaica or Trinidad and Tobago, who's not in this round anyways, um, Honduras, Panama, El Salvador, cannot have VAR in their stadiums, in at least one stadium. Most of these countries play all their home matches in the same stadium. You're going to tell me these federations that have received boatloads of money over the years from FIFA in payouts, boatloads of money from CONCACAF, Make no mistake about it. Why do you think they play a gold cup every two years? Boatloads of money have been trickled down to these federations. They can get a stadium up to par. It's it's unacceptable. And it's very simple, CONCACAF. You tell the, the federations, if you don't have a stadium capable of, of, using VAR, of implementing VAR, you don't host World Cup qualifying in the octagonal. It's that simple. It is absolutely embarrassing to go into World Cup qualifying. The most important matches that this confederation organizes. No, they don't bring in the big cash the way the Gold Cup does. I get that. But they're more important than the Gold Cup. There is no reason these countries are not compensated to implement VAR. I believe they are. I believe it's mismanagement. I believe they don't want VAR. And we know the way the countries in CONCACAF vote as a block. Okay, but and we know which block is the most powerful. I'm not going to get into that today. I've explained this before. I'm in full belief that the voting block does not want VAR because they don't want to spend the money on it. They want to put the money in their pockets. That said, uh, the refereeing atrocious again tonight. It, it was horrible. It was horrible. Okay. Oh, across the board, it just is not good. It is not up to par. If CONCACAF wants to use referees from all of these different countries, which they should, and we know there is a massive disparity in the level of play domestically between Mexico at the very top and what St. Kitts and Nevis or whoever at the bottom, okay? Antigua, Barbuda, the Dominican Republic, wherever. CONCACAF needs to set up a referee exchange program. So if a referee happens to be born in Nicaragua or he happens to be born in Bermuda or he happens to be from Cuba, 
that he has, maybe that's a bad example. That's probably very complicated to get a referee from Cuba to go referee in another country. But you know the point I'm trying to make. They should be getting the opportunity to learn and to do matches. It doesn't, they don't have to start in Liga Metis or in Major League Soccer or in the CB, um, in those two comp competitions. Okay. We see this in the CONCACAF Champions League as well. There's no reason a referee from Belize can't do matches in Costa Rica or in the Mexican second division either, even, or in the USL, in the CPL. There's opportunities to exchange referees, to give these referees from these parts of the confederation where the domestic game is not at a professional level, especially. Okay, the referee in this U.S. Uh, Jamaica match was from Grenada. Okay. There's no reason he's not given a chance to referee in, at the very least, the USL, the CPL, Major League Soccer, ideally. Um, you want to set them up in places where the language is the same, where that's possible. So English-speaking English, English countries go to the Major League Soccer. Spanish-speaking countries go to, to Liga Mekis. It's very simple. You have a couple countries in CONCACAF that speak other languages. It's a French Creole. It's a couple other French-speaking countries, a couple Dutch-speaking places, okay? But you work within that, okay? And every FIFA referee has to be, uh, you know, he has to be passable in English. So um, that shouldn't hamper them, okay? And they should be able and should be given the opportunity to work in one of these other leagues, one of these other confederations, uh, one of these other nations so that they have the opportunity to improve their quality, improve their, themselves in terms of experience so that they can handle these types of matches with this much riding. Okay, so we'll start by going to the midweek matches in CONCACAF. I know the matches just finished. We'll get to them shortly, but I'm going to bring up my FOT Mob app, and we're going to go back a few days to to match day four, and we're going to go, and that was on Thursday, I want to say. Yes, it was on Thursday. So Thursday, match day four, CONCACAF in the octagonal. USA versus Jamaica, 2-0 winners at home. Let's start there. This match was played in Austin, Texas. And the lineups for the two teams, starting with the Reggae Boys for their manager, Theodore Whitmore, Philadelphia Unions. Andre Blake is the goalkeeper in a 4-2-3-1. Alvis Elvis Powell is the right back. Adrian Mariapa and Damian Lowe, the center backs. Kamar Lawrence, who I just mentioned, should have been sent off. In the opening minutes from this match, he starts at left back. Double pivot in midfield, Devon Williams and Javon Watson. Three attacking mids in front of him. Bobby Reed on the right, Tyreek McGee centrally, and Jamal Lowe down the left behind Shamar Nicholson for the United States. Greg Berhalter goes to the 4-3-3. He starts with Matt Turner. Um, some people calling for Zach Steffen. I say, no, we go with Matt Turner, and here's why. Matt Turner plays every single week at his club. I don't care. I don't care that Zach Steffen is at Manchester City. Zach Steffen has how many appearances this season? You're going to bring in a, a goalkeeper who is not match fit, who is not in the rhythm of playing matches into these decisive ma matchups in these World Cup qualifiers. I do believe we'll probably see Zach Steffen 
uh, against Costa Rica. There's a chance of that. But I totally back uh, Greg Berhalter in sticking with Matt Turner right now. He is the hot hand. Um, he made some nice saves again tonight in Panama despite the loss. But I don't want to hear that he's not as good with his feet. He's Zach Steffen is not in form right now. Zach Steffen is a backup. He's a spectator. Sure, he trains every day. Zach Steffen needs to be on a club before this World Cup where he is playing day in and day out. I would not go to the World Cup next next November with a goalkeeper who rides the pine all season, even if he is at Manchester City. Zach Steffen and his agent need to figure something out. If he wants to be the goalie for this United States national team, at least, and I think Greg is 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 totally um, seeing it this way because I totally back what he's his decisions in, in this regard. And he's going with the guy that's on form, and that's Matt Turner. And he was good in this one against Jamaica. Um, Serginho Dest comes in at right back amid some some criticism from him as well, or at him as well. It's not easy to be Serginho Dest right now, being at Barcelona and dealing with with everything that's going on there. And he's such a scapegoat for Barcelona. Barcelona fans throw him on the under the bus every time that something goes wrong. Uh, he's all, and he's also being forced to play on the on his weaker side of the pitch. Here, Greg Berhalter starts him at right back. Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson were the pair in the center of defense with Anthony Robinson playing down the left. The three-man midfield was Tyler Adams in the hole with Janus uh, Musha to his right, Weston McKinney to his left, and then up front, Ricardo Pepe, the youngster, gets the start, and deservedly so. Ricardo Pepe of FC Dallas starts with Paul Ariola and Brendan Aronson. Notable by their ex, uh, absence is several injured players, and this is key. And I think these players were missed tonight in Panama, certainly. You lose John, uh, John, sorry, <laughs> John Brooks. You lose John Brooks. He, he comes in. He's finally back into the national team. Finally bring maybe some experience and some, you know, some just – stability to this back line he goes out injured um also christian pulisic injured um Gio reyna injured okay tonight also missing tonight was serginho dest and uh, also missing um there's another guy missing and uh, i'll get to it when we get to the match tonight i'll i'll uh, mention it but again, the United States dealing with a lot of players missing. So the depth is coming into play here. They have some trouble right now with fitness. They, they're having to reach deeper into the depths of their squad. And this is tough. This is tough on any team right now. I'm not making excuses for the United States. This is tough on any team. Just look around, look around the world and see nobody is going into these three match days in the space of a week and coming out with three victories no matter who they're playing okay it's very very tough and you need a big squad to play in this type of calendar um the the united states came out very good in this match there's not you know ricardo pepe with two ma two goals uh the united states on the front foot all match despite like i said kamar lawrence should have been off in the first minute it should have been 11 on 10 
for much of the match. It should have been even easier. They should have been able to rest guys, but it didn't work out that way. But three points nonetheless and temporarily putting the United States in, in first place. Also, on Thursday, Honduras, nil-nil in San Pedro Sula versus Costa Rica. Um, and then the big one on Thursday. This is the one I was most excited for. I watched this one uh, after the fact because it, kicked off so so damn late uh it was mexico hosting canada at the azteca let's take a look at this one mexico under a lot of pressure as always they lost two cup finals this summer to the united states they're expecting now to win this octagonal and go into the world cup and honestly the mexican media is absolutely insane they they, they are the england of Concacaf or even of the americas because of the unrealistic expectations sometimes that are put on this team by their fan base and by their media um if anyone caught it it's all over twitter if you follow hercules uh hercules gomez he he works for espn obviously so he does a lot of work for espn both in english and in spanish he covers both the united states and mexico and he was on an ESPN Deportes uh, program, like an around-the-horn kind of thing, talking with the Spanish-language media, most Mexican-based. And they're discussing the best players in CONCACAF. The, I think they had the topic of conversation, who's the best player in CONCACAF? Uh, Lozano, uh, Chucky Lozano, Christian Pulisic, or uh, Alfonso Davies? My answer is Alfonso Davies. There's no question about it. Um, but... <laughs> He's tried to make the case for Pulisic being better than Lozano. And the Mexican media tries to tell him that Tecatito Corona is better than Christian Pulisic. I would have walked off the set also. Literally, Hercules Gomez takes his mic off. He says, I can't do this. He goes, Tecatito, really? Takes his mic off, walks off the set. And I would have done the same thing because you cannot reason with someone that makes that ridiculous of a statement. Okay. Uh Following Mexican football like I do, Tecatito is not the guy you make that, that case for. Uh, is Chucky better than Pulisic? Maybe. I can, I can listen to debates on both sides of that, but Tecatito, no. Um, so the Mexican media have a real high inflated uh, view of their team, and they... they've got a lot of pressure on, on this team. They've got a lot of pressure on Tata Martino. They're expecting him to turn them into a world power. In their eyes, they are a world power. They, they they put the pressure right away of El Quinto Partido. They want to not just qualify for the World Cup anymore. They want to get to the quarterfinals. That's now the minimum. El Quinto Partido, the fifth match, which is the quarterfinals. So let's look at the lineups in this in this uh, pseudo-North American derby, I guess, even though the two countries are very far apart. They are two of the three North American countries in the Confederation. I'll start with the visitors in the 11 here. Their manager, John Herdman, sends out a 4-2-3-1. Maxime Kerpo in goal. He was fantastic. Uh, the back four, Alistair Johnson on the right. Steven Vitoria, the captain. And Kamal Miller in the center with Richie Larea. Player I'm, I like a lot, Richie Larea, at left back. If you're new to CONCACAF, if you haven't seen this Canadian team play, first of all, you're missing out. Secondly, you're wondering, where's Alfonso Davies? Alfonso Davies is not a back on the Canadian national team. You could not afford to put Alfonso Davies as a, as a left back uh, if you're John Herdman, if you're the Canada manager. He tried in the first three match days 
to play him as an inverted right winger. It did not work. Um, Canada got significantly better when he swapped Alfonso Davies from a right wing to a left wing. Okay. A left attacking midfield. So that's where he plays. Okay. There's a double pivot for Canada, Mark Anthony K and uh, Stefano Stacchio, the former Portugal youth international now playing for his birth country, Canada, the Ontario native raised in Portugal. Um, a very, very good hold. I, we, we've talked about him during the gold cup. I mentioned his name. Um, I call him many times the Jorginho of CONCACAF. Not saying he's as good as Jorginho. I don't need tweets telling me that Jorginho is better than him. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the context of CONCACAF, and in the context of the level of competition here, he is a similar type of player in which he is able to control matches. However, I do notice in the double pivot, he's not quite as strong not quite as um, commanding and not quite as much in control as he is when he plays by himself in the hole. Um, but he's such a good player that can knock balls well. He can get forward. Nearly had one tonight in Jamaica. Uh, he he starts, like we said, next to Mark Anthony K. The three in front of him, uh, Major League Soccer fans will know these two. The, the right-sided midfielder is Jonathan Osorio of TFC. The central midfielder was Tejan Buchanan of the New England Revolution. And on the left is the aforementioned Alfonso Davies of Bayern Munich behind Lille's striker, Jonathan David. Let's talk about Jonathan David for a minute. He's just not the same player with Canada as he is with Lille. And I'd love to hear from my homies up there in Canada, up in, in Toronto. I, I know a lot of you. Um are going to be there Wednesday night when uh, Panama come into BMO Field. But someone explain what's different about Jonathan David with Canada uh, to the Jonathan David we see playing with Lille. Um, Kyle Aaron is not with the team on this one. And I'm going down the list. And he is not on the bench either. Kyle Aaron is missing. He is injured. Okay, so here's Canada's injury list, which didn't help him either in this in this three-match window. Atiba Hutchinson of Besiktas and Kyle Aaron of Besiktas. The two Besiktas Turkish Super League players are injured, both with thigh injuries, according to Fatmob. And Lucas Cavallini, another striker, is also injured. So um, some of the firepower missing up front for Canada. It, it didn't really matter. They went out into the Azteca and they took it to Mexico. Mexico in these disgusting black and fuchsia kits. I hate them. Bring back L3. Bring back the green, white, and red. Where is the traditional Mexican kit? Why are Mexican fans not revolting against these? They're buying these ugly things. Stop buying these stupid kits and they'll bring back the green, the, the, the historic green, white, and red. Anyway, um, this was a very evenly matched up game. You look at the statistics. Mexico had a slightly more possession, 55% to 45. Okay. Actually, it was more like 54 to 46. Um, 11 shots to Mexico, eight shots to Canada, 10 chances created for Mexico, eight for Canada. Canada had four big chances. They had better chances. Then Mexico in the Azteca. They had the Mexican fans booing. They had chance of Tata Fuera, Tata Fuera, Tata out, Tata out. Tata Martino has never seen a job like Mexico. I guarantee that, that this is the most, this is the biggest circus of a job he's ever had in terms of the expectations. This Canadian team is so, 
grossly underrated by everybody in this confederation. They're going on history and not looking at what's in front of them, which is a highly talented team with incredibly talented attacking players. And like I said, the best player in CONCACAF is the number 19 for Canada. Um, this game had a lot of fouls, 15 to 30. The, you have to say um, cool heads did not prevail. There was a lot of tempers in this one. It did. It looked like a U.S.-Mexico match, so I'm glad to see Canada get into that. I, I want to see a big three in this in this confederation rather than two. And, yeah, you don't have to tell me the U.S. didn't make the last World Cup. I know I watched, okay? Uh, but historically speaking and, and still, in terms of play, uh, it's always about U.S. and Mexico. Look at the finals of the of the Nations League, of the Gold Cups. It, it comes down to them all the time. I think Canada now has arrived at a place where they got something to say as well. Again, tons of uh, fouls in this one. The referee doled out only, only one yellow card to Mexico, which is hysterical, four to Canada. But uh, we get goals uh, from, bring these up for you. We get goals from Jorge Sanchez in the 21st minute, but then Jonathan Osorio on a beautiful, beautiful feed from Alfonso Davies beats Memo Ochoa. Okay, and I guess I should I should give you the, the Mexico starting 11. I, I omitted that by accident. So Mexico came out in a 4-3-3 for Tata Martino as well. Memo Ochoa of Club America in goal. Jorge Sanchez, Cesar Montes, Nestor Araujo, and Jesus Gallardo, the four across the back. Very good midfield for an experienced and good midfield for Mexico here. Hector Herrera, Atletico Madrid, Edson Alvarez of Ajax, and Andreas Guardado of Real Betis in the midfield behind this strike. Look at this attacking trio. Uh, the striker is the return of Raul Jimenez, of course, of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, he's back after his, his nasty head injury, what, a year and a half ago. Finally back. Chucky Lozano back after injury as well. He was hurt in the, the opener to the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Um, he's back. He plays, obviously, his football for Napoli. And Te Tecatito Corona, who ESPN Deportes thinks is better than Christian Pulisic. Um, he must be so good. That's why FC Porto are going to let his contract run out at the end of the year, and he's going to go for free somewhere. That's how good he is. No, he's a good player, okay? He is a good player, but he is not one of the top players in CONCACAF. Um, but he is the starting left forward, like we said. And Osorio, like I just mentioned, uh, pulled Canada level in the 42nd minute. Canada uh, went forward a lot. They got a lot of opportunities. I uh, would have liked to seen Kyle Lahren come into this match. I think it was calling for him. Would have liked to seen Atiba Hutchinson in the midfield, kind of giving Canada some more control in that one. But it was a great performance from, from the Canadians in this matchup uh, at the mythical Azteca, of course. Uh, managing a draw. Um, yes, we do have to mention the chant came out again. The match was stopped. Both teams had to go to the middle. And at the final whistle, they were angry, the Mexican fans. And instead of chanting Tata Fuera, they chanted it again. So we'll see what CONCACAF does. I think it's time to put Mexico in an empty stadium. Um, until you make good on some of these threats, this is going to continue. So it's very simple. Um, fines do not bother them. Okay. And, and let me be clear. 
It's a very small percentage of the Mexican crowd that is making this chant. It's a very small percentage. I'm not saying that it is all of them or even close to... I'm not even saying it's half of them or a quarter of them. It's smaller than that. But something needs to be done. They Their federation is failing. FMF is failing in, in resolving this situation. So it's up to CONCACAF, who love to divert it to FIFA, who love to pass the buck back to CONCACAF and so forth. It's very simple, CONCACAF. You, want, you know what you do? You want to make this go away? You tell them if it doesn't go away, If another match needs to be stopped, you pull them from that 2026 bid. They lose their three locations. We play the 2026 World Cup in the United States and in Mexico. I don't even, I think, don't even take points. Because you know what? They're already in first place with 11 points. If you duck them points, they're not, they're still going to qualify. That doesn't accomplish anything. Out of the bid, you don't get to play at home. And if it happens again after that, you don't get to enter World Cup qualifying next next cycle. You want to see how quick that'll go away? All right. So 1-1 one, one, the final score that night in the Azteca and in San Salvador, El Salvador, La Selecta, with their first win of the octagonal beating Panama 1-0. Let's move then to tonight's matches. All right. And it, we all, all four matches played Virtually at the same time, Costa Rica, El Salvador started first. That was the early one. This was played at the Estadio Nacional de Costa Rica in San Jose. And it was Costa Rica scoring, oh, sorry, winning 2-0. But El Salvador got the first one. Jairo Enriquez got on the board in the 12th minute putting La Selecta ahead, and it looked like they were going to go on a little bit of a winning streak, but the legend, the Costa Rican legend, man, the the name you think when you think Costa Rican football, Brian Ruiz, at least outfield players. Sorry, Kayla, not a Kayla Navis fans. Brian Ruiz scores in the 52nd to make it 1-1, and then a penalty is called. In the 58th, Celso Borges steps up. He converts it. It's 2-1. to one. And the Ticos pick up three points. In Kingston tonight, it was Jamaica-Canada. This one, a nil-nil. Uh, Canada had to rotate some players. There were it was, Here's their lineup tonight. I'll, I'll give you Jamaica's lineup as well. Jamaica went again with Andre Blake. O'Neill Fisher, Elvis Powell. Adrian Mariapa and Kamar Lawrence, the four across the back. Again, I mentioned Kamar Lawrence. Shouldn't have been in the lineup tonight because he should have been suspended. Again, incompetence from CONCACAF referees. The four in midfield in this 4-4-2. Anthony Grant and Javon Watson were the two in the center with Bobby Reed on the right and Junior Flemings on the left. And then Kamar Roof and Shamar Nicholson start in the attack. Canada playing the same 4-2-3-1 for John Herdman. And we get some. We get a change um, at the back. In fact, we changed three out of the four at the back. Maxime Crepo is still the goalkeeper, and he was really good tonight. He made some real good saves to keep it one-one. Um, but it, it was uh, sorry to keep it nil-nil. Uh, Maxime Crepo, the goalkeeper. Alistair Johnson, the only defender retained from the previous match. Donnell Henry, Derek Cornelius, the center backs. 
and Sam Adkupe is in at left back in place of Richie Larea. Samuel Piete replaces Stefano Stacchio in midfield, and Mark Anthony K once again gets the start. The three attacking midfielders, slight shuffling of it. Alfonso Davies once again starts uh, down the left. Jonathan Osorio moves to the middle, and Liam Miller gets a start on the right behind Jonathan David once again. And we mentioned the injuries to the other attackers, and still on the injured list, Atiba Hutchinson, Kyle Laren, and Lucas Cavallini. So Canada playing with a little bit of a rotated squad, and it looked they seemed happy with this this nil-nil draw um, at the final whistle, but... But I feel like they missed a chance to go top of the table tonight. I think they really should have been able to do more against this Jamaican side who played quite well. Jamaica's at the bottom of the table. This is the last place side. Yes, you're on the road. But in the field, looked like it was very hard. The ball was bouncing very hard, very high. And a lot of there was a little bit of a disconnect tonight for Canada a lot of errant crosses that were not going where they were you know where they were intended for a lot of crosses into the into the stands and and also worth noting they're playing in an empty stadium tonight in 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 Kingston um it it was a match i thought that you know Canada should have been able to win and like i said in the 70th minute Ostakio came on uh, for Mark Anthony K and Ostakio nearly won it with the, or nearly went ahead with the header. Um, the best chance of the game fell to, to Alistair Johnson after Davies had beaten two Jamaican defenders, slid it across goal. Uh, Andre Blake was beaten. The net was wide open, but Alistair Johnson put it right at the one defender that managed to get back and get on the goal line. He had the entire goal to slide it in. Uh, unable to do it. However, Canada seemed happy with the result. I, I would have been disappointed in their shoes. Uh, Canada fans, tell me what you think. I, I've seen on Twitter, some of you have said you felt like they let this, they let points get away tonight. I, I agree. Granted, the way the other results went, it's, it wasn't the worst thing. It would have been worst had El Salvador won and had, um, although Panama winning tonight did not help Canada either. And, um, you know, it, they got another one. They're going to play Canada. They're going to play Panama. That's probably the, the best match to watch coming up later this week. But that's third and fourth place playing for that final spot. Um, yes, there's 14 matches. So it's too early to start worrying so much. But uh, you really want to establish yourself in those top three places. But CONCACAF, very, very forgiving. Eight teams. Three of them go automatically to the World Cup. One, the fourth place team will go into a playoff. So half the teams are going to advance either to the World Cup or to a playoff. That's very, very forgiving in my book. You have groups in other parts of the world where only one team advances. Okay, And one loss can be the end of somebody's qualifying run. Uh, so, I mean, again, there shouldn't be any overreactions from any fan bases tonight. But... Um, Canada and Jamaica taking a share of the spoils, like we said. In Panama City, for the first time in their history, Panama beat the United States one to nothing in qual in World Cup qualifying, that is. Um, 
Let's look at the lineup. Greg Berhalter forced to make seven changes. Okay. Uh, first, I'll give you the Panamanian lineup for their manager, Thomas Christensen, and their goalkeeper, Louis Meja. He starts four across the back. They're playing 4 2 3 1. Uh, Michael Morillo, um, if I'm not mistaken, of the New York Red Bulls. Let me double check that. Anderlecht, excuse me. <laughs> uh, Former New York Red Bull. Okay, former New York Red Bull and New York Red Bulls 2 player. Uh, now plays his football in Belgium for Anderlecht. So he, he gets the start. At right back, Fidel Escobar and Harold Cummings. The center backs, Eric Davis, the left back. Christian Martinez partners with Anibal Godoy. They're giving Godoy credit for the goal. To me, that's an own goal. Uh, Jossie Sard is headed it into his own goal, but it looks like still right now. They have Anibal Godoy with the goal. I doubt um, CONCACAF will, will reverse that. They're the double pivot in midfield behind Alberto Quintero, Edgar Barcenas, and Edgar Gra uh, Gondola. The striker is Ronaldo Rolando Blackburn. Uh, like we said, many changes to Greg Berhalter's side. Matt Turner returns in goal tonight. I know the Zach Steffen shouts are going to come out now that there was a 1-0 loss on a goal that wasn't really that much of the goalkeeper's fault, especially, like I said, when the last touch came off your own, your own teammate. He starts, and Shaq Moore is in it right back for Serginho Des. Mark McKenzie is in for... for um, He's in at center back along with Walker Zimmons, Zimmerman. Uh, Mark McKenzie replaces Miles Robinson. George Bello is in for Anthony Robinson. Um, George Bello get, interestingly gets a good rating here on FOTMOB, but I didn't really like the way he played tonight. Um, a lot of mistakes, in my opinion, from what I saw. And it was a tough night for him, I think. I thought it was a tough night for him. Um, tough night for the entire American team. It was just one of those nights that looked like they were completely disconnected, almost uninterested. And I have some thoughts I'll, I'll get to in a moment on that. The three across the middle, Kellen Acosta is in at the number six position. Janus Musa starts to his right and Sebastian Legette to his left up front. Jazzy Zardes is the striker. Ariola down the right and Timothy Wea of Lille gets a, gets a chance to start tonight. And really, nobody tonight made a case for themselves, okay? This was not the night. Uh, again, all these changes, none of these people brought into the lineup really made a case for themselves tonight going forward. Why so many changes? Well, again, people are really under underestimating just the impact of playing three three international matches in the space of a week. With this type of travel, okay? The United States played in Austin on Thursday. They played tonight in Panama City. Okay, that's a lot of travel. That's a lot of, of miles that you're flying. And they'll next play Costa Rica on Wednesday. And that match, I'm double-checking, is going to be played. It's not even telling me where that match is going to be played. Um, I'll, I'll look it up real quick. But the United States, you know, is... <laughs> the, not just the United States, everybody. This is a large region geographically. There is a lot of travel that goes into it. And 
it's going to be at lower.com field, which is in Columbus. That's right. Columbus is hosting this next match. So they're going from Austin to Panama City all the way up to Columbus. That's a lot of travel. You have to factor that in. When a club team plays three matches in a week in Europe, they, the, the travel isn't even comparable. You can go from one side of Europe to the other. You can go from Portugal to Kazakhstan, and it's a shorter distance than the United States is traveling in, in this one. So, again, the rotation was necessary. You also have to keep these players' club teams happy. There has to be some cooperation, okay? I know a lot of fans don't always understand that, and they think the national team comes first all the time, and that's just not the case in modern football. Um, you Players come in with knocks, okay? Uh, again, Serginho Dest not in the lineup tonight. Add that to John Anthony Brooks. Add that to Christian Pulisic, to Gio Reyna, who didn't even come in because they're back with their clubs rehabbing because they're injured, okay? And we can sit here and we can come up with a – you know, we can start thinking of all these other injuries. Um, Anthony Robinson did not play tonight. Okay. And Miles Robinson, not in the lineup. This is a and injury riddle team. Walker Zimmerman literally would have come off injured tonight if they had substitutions left. That's worth mentioning. That's not an excuse for losing in Panama. And I think this approach was wrong from the beginning from the teams. And uh, when I say that, I've become a believer in Greg Berhalter. And I say that. He's doing a good job. Okay, I also have to be fair. And I think he failed to get them ready for this matchup. I think the U.S. players are listening to the media too much. Okay, the U.S., all we heard going into this is we got to get seven points. We got to get seven points from these three matches. Okay, that's fine for the media to say they're doing their job. I would say the same thing, even for the manager in his mind to say that. But you never, ever communicate that to the players in your locker room. Okay, these players uh, tonight, they they played like they were there to get a point and hope to stay healthy or stay fresh for to play at home. I'm tired of hearing how hard it is to play on the road in CONCACAF. You want to hear a hot take from me tonight? Road games in CONCACAF, the difficulty is overrated, and this is why, okay? At least on this, the pitches are bad. The referees are bad. I understand that. But people talk about the crowds. The crowds are nothing special. These crowds in CONCACAF don't even chant anything other than the name of their team. Panama, Panama, Mexico. Me they, they, there is no atmosphere that is that oppressive to road teams in these matches. The altitude could be an issue when you play at altitude in Honduras, in El, Sal in El Salvador, in, in, in Mexico City, obviously. But... The crowds are not that oppressive. The atmospheres are weak. You compare this to when South America has full crowds, you can't, it's, it's, it's night and day. So stop overrating these crowds in Central America, okay? The crowds in, in the United States and in Canada are much more uh, vibrant than the crowds in Central America. Yes, they're loud. They sing their national anthem with pride as they should. But they don't have, there's no chance. There's very little jumping. There's, uh, tonight we saw what, four, four pitch invaders to help, to help with the time wasting. And, and there was a ton of time wasting tonight. Um, Again, 
it's stop making excuses for this team. This, this team needs to not be given these crutches because they take them. This is what happened four years ago. You talk, Bruce Arena did this all the time. Let's see these hot shots. Try to from Europe, try to qualify out of CONCACAF. No. How about you go and you take care of your business? You have better players. Stop telling them that it's hard. Stop telling them they're up against it. Tell them they're going to go in and and they are going to use it and their quality is going to see them through. Tell them it could be difficult, but tell them that they're mentally tough and tell them that they can they can overcome a rock hard pitch, which I think is what happens. This pitch, just like in Jamaica, looked rock hard. Uh, every pass was overhit. Every long ball ended up out of touch. Okay, uh, you have to kind of adjust your game for that. I get it, but don't tell me these crowds are intimidating. Okay, um, yes, they're very largely vocally, passionately anti-American crowds. I get that, but they're easily silenced. They're easily taken out of the match. They're not a coordinated fan base that's got coordinated chants and songs and with musical instruments, and they're jumping up and down. No, they're sitting quiet. They're sitting politely watching the match once it starts waving a flag. That is not a hostile crowd. I'm tired of hearing that they, they face hostile crowds. Even in Mexico, I wanted to say this about the Mexico-Canada crowd. And I said this at the end of the Nations League and at the end of the Gold Cup. The crowds for these teams are overrated. They don't bring anything. They bring simple chants once in a while or they do the wave. Or in Mexico's case, they do the chant that then gets the game stopped. But in this one, Panama, the time-wasting was, it was Concacafery at its very finest, okay? It, going here, it was, it was Christian Martinez went down, okay? He was, it was a shoulder bump. It was shoulder to shoulder. He went down after bumping into Kellen Acosta. He goes into convulsions with a, with a cramp. He takes his shoe off. It ta they're calling for the stretcher, and the other players are trying to stop the stretcher from coming onto the field. You can see, you can see, you know, his teammates Gondola going like this, waving the stretcher back, just doing anything to waste as much time as possible. The referee gave seven minutes of stoppage time, and they wasted at least three of them. At least three of them were spent with the ball out of touch. He should have added more. That's not an excuse to lose this match. Again. The United States surrenders a goal on a set piece. That is not good, okay? The goal comes in the 54th minute. Plenty of time to wake up and get around. But again, everything, there was a huge disconnect tonight. The United States completely disconnected, okay? Passes were not being connected. And the thing that this team has to learn, okay, is on the road, wherever you're playing, especially with a heavily rotated squad like this. You can't always play well, but you have to always play hard. Especially when you're not playing well, you have to make up for it with intensity and with effort. Seven players got a chance tonight to prove to the manager that they belong in the 11 or that they belong in this squad, that they belong as a core member that he should think of to go to Qatar. They didn't bring anything special tonight. They didn't. Nobody made a case for themselves tonight. Not Wea, not not Wea, not McKenzie, not uh, Bello, not Legit. Uh, Jossie Zardes didn't get any service either. To be fair, but he ends up heading it into his own goal. 
And there's a lot of criticism about Jesse Sardes out there. None of that, you know, none of them made a case for themselves. We get a triple substitution here in the in the 68th minute. Before that, a double substitution at halftime. So Greg Berhalter sends on Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson, two European-based players, to try to get some control of this match, try to get some link-up play. Um, Tyler did not have his best game tonight either. He's one of the better players of this team. Regardless, when everyone's there, he's still one of the better players. The RB Leipzig man, former New York Red Bull. Um, but he was tonight, I think, being asked to do too much, to play as a holding mid, to sit in front of that back four, protect them. And then he had to be going forward as well. Okay, Brendan Aronson was unable to really get the attack going. Later in the 68th, we saw a triple substitution. DeAndre Yedlin came on, Christian Roldan came on, and Ricardo Pepe. And none of them made a significant difference. Unfortunately, it just didn't come together. And the worst part was they used up all five substitutes. And when Walker Zimmerman is injured in the final 10 minutes, he's got to stand on the pitch injured because they don't have any more um, any more substitutes to use. And like we said, we got that goal here in the 54th. It's a set piece down the U.S.'s left side, corner kick to the near post. Yes, um, Godoy gets a header, gets a piece of the header, but it ends up going off Jazzy Zardes and redirecting into the goal. Um, all in all, just missing everything tonight, the United States. And even late, it didn't. you didn't see that desperation. You didn't see that urgency to try to get a, an equalizer. They looked like, okay, we'll just get three points next match. Six out of the seven we were supposed to get isn't bad. And that's just not the right attitude for me. I think when you play in, in a weak confederation like CONCACAF, it is weak, let's be honest, in a forgiving format like the octagonal, you're allowed to be complacent. But you shouldn't. You should go in there. You are the champions of the region. I I don't care that, we, that you missed the World Cup four years ago. You are the champions of the region now. You won both the Gold Cup and the Le Nations League. You won both of the continental competitions. This is when you prove yourself, when you things aren't going right. And anyone who's played this game knows there are nights you're out there and nothing goes right. This was one of them. You have to make up for it with effort. And you have to make up for it with just sheer will and determination that was missing tonight. Um, I expect them to rebound well on Wednesday. And I expect... In Columbus, no less, for the United States to recover three points, okay? And I think at the end of the day, it's not the seven that the media wanted, but I think six would still be a good enough um, a good enough summation of points in this this window here because next window, we have a chance to really make, make up some distance. Next window... We got the Clasico, the CONCACAF Clasico in Cincinnati against El Tri. And they have to go into that match like they have to win it. So I ex this is really one of their last tune-ups as well as a must-win match on Wednesday against Costa Rica. So, uh, again, Panama wins 1-0. I gave you the table earlier. Let's look at the fixtures for Wednesday. And Okay, so Wednesday. All of these matches, except, again, Mexico always kicks off late. 
But at 7 o'clock, it starts with the United States versus Costa Rica. These times are all Eastern time. United States, Costa Rica in Columbus. Canada and Panama kick off a half hour later. Honduras and Jamaica kick off in San Pedro Sula 35 minutes after that. And then at 10.05 Eastern, 7.05 Pacific in San Salvador, La Selecta take on L3, El Salvador versus Mexico. Okay, that wraps up CONCACAF. I know I've been going for almost an hour here. Let's take a look at Calm Nebal. The matches are all over now. Let's bring up the Calm Nebal screen and see how it turned out here. So there you see the table in Calm Nebal. I'm going to bring up the results first. Um, this is courtesy of SofaScore, of course. Here are tonight's matches, so we'll start with this one here. Bolivia, 1-0 winners over Peru. That's a definite blow to Peru and to my good friend Nico um, Nino Torres, the commentator for Goal TV, very good commentator, a Peruvian um, fan, obviously, of, of his national team. Venezuela pick up a big victory tonight. They went two to one uh, at home to Ecuador. Well, Colombia and Brazil. This was a match I was watching. Finish nil nil, and Argentina three nil winners over Uruguay. We said that that one was just concluding as we came on the air, and recently just finished uh, the late one. Chile versus Paraguay. Both teams picking up a red card in this one, but it's two nil to Chile. Let's look at the table then. Brazil lead with 28 points from 10 matches. Of course, they had that one match abandoned between them and Argentina. And Brazil have nine victories, one draw. Argentina right behind them. They have 22 points, but they're very comfortable there. Again, another confederation. As It's a difficult uh, confederation to play in. Yes, the matches are difficult, but the format is very forgiving. Four out of ten teams qualify automatically, and a fifth team qualifies for a playoff. I mean, look at some of the forms here. Uh, Argent Argentina second with 22, so they're pretty comfortable also with uh, eight matches to play or seven matches to play, plus that one with Brazil that needs to be. They need to decide what the outcome of that match is going to be. Third place right now belongs to Ecuador despite losing tonight, um, and this is the part of the table where it's tough. Okay, um, if you can get to the top, like I said, it gets very forgiving. But here, these teams are separated by very few points. Right now, third place belongs to Ecuador. They uh, 16 points from 11 matches. Uruguay also on 16 points, and one point behind them is Colombia. Okay, uh, right now, Colombia is in a playoff spot. They would have to play a playoff against another confederation. Sixth place, Paraguay, 12 points, okay? And Peru is now in seventh with 11 points. Chile with 10. Ninth is Bolivia with nine. And Venezuela uh, move. Well, they stay in last, but now they got seven points. They gained three tonight and move closer out of the basement. So right now, it's, it's not looking good for Bolivia and Venezuela. Bolivia are six points from the playoff spot, while Venezuela are eight points from the playoff spot. It's very difficult there. It's very hard to make up points. There's a lot of draws in Colombia, but 
Uh, Chile also starting to lose pace. They're five back from that playoff spot, six from an automatic qualification. And Peru is four from the playoff and five from automatic qualification. They have seven matches left. So there's plenty of time to go on a run. But you can see here on the form, uh, once you take Brazil and Argentina out of the picture, form is all over the place for these teams. And you can see Colombia here drawn four of their last five with one win in between. Over on this side here, we have the top players based by rating. I'm going to bring up the top goal scorers to show you. So Bolivia's Marcelo Moreno is the top goal scorer right now with eight goals. Neymar second with six, as is Lionel Messi. Uh, they each have six. Mikael Estrada has five uh, goals. Lataro Martinez and Arturo Vidal. Angel Romero and Luis Suarez all have four. Alexis Sanchez and Miguel Borja have three. Uh, here are the fixtures now for the next round of matches. Let's take a look here. And we have... Bolivia taking on Paraguay. These are going to be on the 14th, which will be on Thursday. So Bolivia take on Paraguay. Colombia host Ecuador. Argentina host Peru. Chile host Venezuela. And Brazil host Uruguay. Uruguay under a lot of pressure now to come up with, uh, with a result there. And they do not want to fall further back. Here is the team of the week. I'll, I'll read it off for you. Um, now that the matches are concluded, concluded for this round 11, SofaScore has issued their team of the week, and it is Anthony Silva is the goalkeeper from Paraguay. They are using three in the back. Jerry Mina of Colombia, um, Carlos Cuesta of Colombia, Omar Alderete of Paraguay. In front of them, uh, you have Christian Cueva, uh, you have Sergio Pena, Lionel Messi, and you have Pervis Estupiñan of Ecuador and the attackers. Enter Valencia of Ecuador, Michel Estrada of Ecuador, and Rafinha of Brazil. Those are the 11 best performers on this match day. 11. Okay. Uh, we are running long on time here, but why not move on here? And um, we will talk a little bit now about the European matches. So here's the table. Here's how it's going in Europe. I'm going to change the screen for you so we can look at the European standings, the UEFA uh, World Cup qualifying table. Okay. And we'll put that up there. We'll talk more about Europe later in the week. I'll come back sometime around midweek. And or towards the end of the weekend, catch up on all the matches still to be played. But in UEFA right now, um, Group A, Serbia lead right now with 14 points, one ahead of Portugal. Portugal with a match in hand. They will play Luxembourg this week uh, on Tuesday, I, if I'm not mistaken. Luxembourg are third, but they are pretty much out of it at this point as they have six points. They would need to really go on a win streak here to have any chance. The Republic of Ireland continue to struggle. Uh, only five points from six matches in this group for the Republic. And Azerbaijan are bottom of the table with one point from six matches. Group B, Spain lead. And Spain, as you know, we're in the final four of the, the UEFA Nations League this weekend. 
I'll be back tomorrow to talk about that, either tomorrow or Tuesday. But Spain, with 13 points, are top of Group B. Sweden are one point back, but they have a match in hand. Um, their next match against Greece will be a six-pointer, really, because Greece, with a win over Sweden, can put themselves right back in the race and be only one point out of first and be level for second. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Sweden with 12, Greece with nine, then Kosovo are fourth with only four points from six matches. Georgia in last place with one point. Group C, Italy lead with 14 points from six matches. That's four victories, two draws. They are three points ahead of Switzerland. Switzerland, however, have a game in match, uh, game in hand, and they can go level on points with Italy if they beat Lithuania later this week. And Northern Ireland also on five points. Their next matchup is against Bulgaria. Um, no, they're not, not also on five points. Excuse me. They are third on five points. Also on five points is Bulgaria. And last place right now belongs to Lithuania with three points. Group D, France, leaders, 12 points. They are the UEFA Nations League champions. They defeated France today to lift the trophy. They sit top of this group with 12 points, four better than the Ukraine. Ukraine have eight. Third place, Bosnia, Herzegovina have six. Fourth, Fourth place, Finland, feeling it slip away at this point. However, they're only three points out of Ukraine with a match in hand. So a win later this week against Kazakhstan can change that. Uh, Kazakhstan are fifth with, with three points. They're in the bottom. Group E, Belgium, way ahead with 16 points. Uh, a disappointing weekend for them in the Nations League, but in Group E, they are way ahead. They have... This is five victories, one draw. They're eight points ahead of second place Czech Republic, who are level on points with third place Wales. Estonia are fourth with with four points, and Belarus in the bottom with three points. Group F, Denmark, 21 points. Perfect seven wins from seven matches. Seven better than Scotland, who right now are holding on to a playoff spot. Israel are four behind them with 10 Austria for uh, Austria level with Israel also on 10. The Faroe Islands with four and fifth and Moldova in sixth with one point. Group G, the Netherlands top with 16 points, five victories, one draw, one defeat. They are two points ahead of Erling Holland and Norway who have 14 points from seven matches. Third place belongs to Turkey right now with 12 points. Uh, fourth place, Montenegro with four. Latvia are fifth with five points. Sorry, I said Montenegro with four. Montenegro have 11 points. And Latvia fifth with five points. Gibraltar, all losses. Seven matches, seven losses, three goals for 28 allowed. Tough, tough to beat Gibraltar in this World Cup qualifying. Group H sees Croatia and Russia level on 16 points. And uh, they both have five victories, one draw, one defeat. They both have scored 11 goals, but Croatia have allowed only one. Slovenia are third with 10 and with only three matches to play. They are starting to feel it slip away. Very unlikely Slovenia will be at Qatar next season. Slovakia also can say goodbye. They have nine points from seven matches. In fifth, you have Malta with four 
and in sixth also with four Cyprus. Group I, England have 19 points, six wins and a, and a draw. Albania have, excuse me there, Albania are next with 15 points. Uh, Poland, third with 14. Hungary have 10 points, they're fourth. Andorra with three points. They pick up maybe their first win ever in World Cup qualifying. I'm assuming that came against San Marino. It must have. As San Marino have no points. And Group J, sorry. Uh, Germany top with six victories in one defeat. They have 18 points. They picked up a big win in the final minutes this week against Romania. North Macedonia are second with 12 points. Armenia third with also 12 points. Romania all the way down in fourth with 10 points. However, still well in within reach of that second place to keep themselves alive. Uh, Iceland are fifth with five points. There will be no Viking army in Qatar next winter. And Liechtenstein have one point. We already know the common ball table. So we move on to AFC, to the Asian Football Federation. Second round. And actually, that second round is complete. We'll move down to the third round. Excuse, Sorry about that. So the Asian third round, Group A. Right now, led by Iran, three victories from three matches, five goals, four, none allowed. And you can see they have just won a whole slew of matches. They're, they've won their last five uh, in all competitions. They have nine points. They lead South Korea by two points, who are second with seven. And they play each other next. So that could, that could be a real showdown here in Group A uh, in the Asian Football Confederation. The United Arab Emirates are third with two points right now from three matches. Same as Lebanon and Iraq. Syria are in the bottom with one point in Group B. Now, in Asia, from these two groups will emerge three teams, I believe, that will advance to the World Cup because Qatar are already obviously in as hosts. So only three places up for grabs in Asia. In Group B, Australia and Saudi Arabia are one and two. Both perfect three wins from three matches. See, this is this is I this is a little different from CONCACAF. So perhaps CONCACAF may be a little stronger in the sense that the top teams have to play each other, whereas in Asia, the top teams are split into two groups. But uh, Australia and Saudi Arabia already making uh distance between themselves and the rest of the table. And how about Japan? Six points back in third place, only one win. From three matches, a team that we're very used to seeing in the World Cup. Oman is fourth with three points. China also has three points. And Vietnam in sixth with zero. African qualification now. As uh, we are in the second round, that is correct. Algeria lead Group A with seven points. Uh, same amount as second place Burkina Faso. 
both teams with two wins and a draw. Niger is third with three points, and Djibouti is in fourth, bottom of the table with three defeats, no points there. First place, I believe, it, uh, the first place teams will advance to, there is still another round, it looks like. Yeah, there will be another round, so this isn't even uh, the final round of qualifying in Africa. So first places will all advance to the next round. Well, second place will either, they'll either go to a playoff or um, the top second places will advance with them. I'm not entirely sure. I'll have an update on that next time we talk World Cup qualifying. But in Group B, Tunisia leads with 10 points. And second belongs to Equatorial Guinea with seven. Uh, third place belongs to Zambia with four and Mauritania with one point. Group C, Nigeria lead right now with nine points. They have three victories and one defeat. Cape Verde have jumped into that second place. Um, that's a big, big uh, move for the Blue Sharks uh, with a win today over Liberia. They now have seven points. Third belongs to the Central African Republic with four and Liberia in fourth with three points. Group D, Ivory Coast lead with seven points from three matches, followed by the Cameroon with six points. Malawi have three, and Mozambique. Oh, Mil Mozambique. Um, <laughs> a team I'm rooting for, Mozambique. They are fourth right now with one point. Mali lead Group E with 10. Uganda second with eight. Kenya come in third with two, and Rwanda with one. Group F, Egypt lead with seven points. Libya are holding on to second right now. Six points from three matches, two wins and a defeat. Three better than Angola, who have three, and Gabon are bringing up the rear with one point. Group G, South Africa, seven points, top of the group from three matches. Ghana second with six. Ethiopia with three and Zimbabwe with one. Excuse me again. Sorry about that. Had to cough. Um, we move to group H. Senegal. With nine points, Namibia second with four, Congo with two, and Togo in fourth place with one. In Group I, Morocco lead the way. They're perfect. Three wins from three matches, nine points. Guinea-Bissau second with four. Guinea have three, and Sudan with two. Group J is Tanzania with seven points they lead level on points with benin the democratic republic of the congo are two back with five and madagascar are bottom with three points this is earlier Concacaf rounds we've already gone through Concacaf. so that is the that is world cup qualifying as it stands right now there you have all of the teams okay nobody has qualified yet i think we may start to see uh, qualifications in the next window, I think we're already going to see some teams uh, guaranteeing qualification. Maybe even it's possible that we even see 
the Netherlands tie, uh, qualify by the end of the week. I'm not sure who they're playing next, but um, teams like uh, Denmark also who are perfect, very close to qualifying. So I think we're going to start to have qualifying uh, qualifications guaranteed coming up very soon. They're going to be clinched, and um, you know it's starting to shape up. Okay, this this is new for all of us, of course. I don't know why we're jamming so many matches into such a small time frame when the World Cup is not until next November. It's not this summer. I don't know why we couldn't have used the spring to finish off this qualifying or even the 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 June tra uh the June international window that that is there on non-World Cup years. Not sure what this summer is going to look like internationally. But that's going to do it my friends for this episode of Parking the Bus, a very heavy CONCACAF centric episode. Um Later in the week, we'll, we'll hit a little bit more on the other confederations and bring you up to speed. I do plan to be back either Thursday or Friday with more information. Plus, I'm going to try to drop another episode or two in between because I still owe you guys some episodes on Copa Libertadores, UEFA Champions League, um, Brasileirão. I got to catch everybody back up to speed on that. So to the few of you that stuck it out tonight with me and that we're here instead of watching Sunday night football, I thank you. Those of you listening on the podcast, don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. The PTB media network, YouTube channel and follow on Twitter. You can see both of my handles are there on the screen. If you're watching at Mike Agostino, that's at M I K E A G O S T I N H O. Give that a follow and follow the show in the network at PTB underscore media. Okay. Um, got to get some follows on the PTB underscore media handle. Okay. Trying to build up that Twitter following so that we can get this content out to more people. Um, again, subscribe to the YouTube channel and check out, the website, it's right there on my hat. It's right here on my shirt, www.parkingthebusmedia.com. I got some videos there. Um, this video will be there in just a few minutes. And um, when I ever, if I ever get free time, I'll write some stuff too. But right now, free time is not something I have. But I want to thank everyone who joined me tonight. I want to thank everyone listening um, on the podcast platform. Make sure you you subscribe to Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this, drop a rating. If you can even better than dropping a rating, share the episode on your social media, get this out to some of your friends. If you like parking the bus, I try to get around the world. I try to cover as many different competitions and leagues as I can. Um, just keeping it fresh and cause it's a much bigger world than just the premier league. A lot of podcasts focus on just, you know, the premier league or, the La Liga. I try to, to get around to everybody. Um, it's another week of international football, but by next weekend, we got the domestic game back. So next Sunday, you know where to find me. Be right back here. Uh, and we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll, we'll be talking about uh, domestic football again next week. Okay. So have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining me. Uh, enjoy your football all week. And I'll talk to you next time here in the park and the bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off. La vida se define en una decisión El mundo se prepara la revolución Banderas en el aire y sube la emoción Un juego se convierte en una religión Sube la respiración, lo siento por dentro Solo tengo una misión Fuerte como el viento, fuera como el aire Este sentimiento
We came from the ground and now we are 